Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, these are God's words. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. Thus ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Remember the Lord Jesus began the sermon by announcing to those who uh, were his disciples their blessedness in him, describing the condition of their heart and mind and conduct, uh, and announcing to them that uh, they are blessed for his sake especially because they are persecuted with him. And then he went on to describe to them the righteousness that they must have in order to enter the kingdom, uh, and that it had to, it is righteousness that it must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that uh, as the Lord works in them to produce genuine righteousness, it's going to be of a different sort than they've ever heard about uh, growing up in synagogue. Uh, and we had several comparisons then between the Bible was read or misread, how the Lord Jesus interprets his own word uh, and applies it to them. And so that was the righteousness that exceeds that to the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, but now, especially as we turned into chapter six, we've begun hearing about how their religion must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, and their religion in um, respect to others, their religion in respect to God, their religion even in respect to themselves. Uh, and so in their works of mercy, it must not be done for the eyes of others, but done unto Father. And their praying unto God is not done unto the eyes of others, but unto their Father. And their fasting, their religious discipline uh, with respect even to themselves is not to be done for the eyes of others, but unto the Lord. And we'll come to fasting next week. But this week, we are on prayer. And so he adds one more thing that they're not supposed to do, like the hypocrites. Uh, and by hypocrites here, he means especially the scribes and Pharisees, as he's going to say later in this gospel uh, several times, 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So that's especially whom he is talking about here. And he says, when you pray, don't be like they are. They pray that they may be seen by men. And you can tell that they do so because of the place that they love to pray. Now, we should pray in church. And there are many public circumstances in which we ought to pray. And the believer loves the public worship of God. But he does have a special delight in prayer that is only between him and God. And so even when he's in the public worship, he delights more in the transaction of his between his soul and his God than he does that he might be heard to be praying well uh, or appear to be very uh, spiritual. Uh, no, uh, he prays in secret and he loves to pray even when he's by himself where only his father sees because his father is his reward. So again, uh, God himself is the reward. You can either pray to be seen by men, verse 5, or you can pray to be seen by your father, your father with whom you have this relationship. Uh, he is your creator and your redeemer and your adopting father, and you are his creature and his subject uh, and his beloved child. And so being seen by him is very different than being seen by men. It's not for your praise or your pride. It is for the pleasure that you have in God himself and in whom he has made you to be to himself and whom he has made himself to be to you or the relationship that he has uh, given you to have from him. So he says, but when you, you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, Pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in you in secret, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And again, the critical text is missing openly, but as we confess, God preserves his word pure and entire uh, in and unto his church. And so we do have the word openly here, uh, and it will be marvelous for us. Uh, if you have had this life of learning to enjoy God himself more and more uh, in your times of secret worship and secret prayer, uh, and you take that into the public worship, and you enjoy uh, the means of grace and the public assembly and um, the way that the Lord Jesus leads uh, his body in a, in a unique and special way in the public worship that you can't have in the secret worship, but in the secret worship... Yeah, but even in the public worship, your whole your soul is having that secret transaction with God and delighting in God Himself in your praying, uh, and you love that He's getting the glory uh, of the prayers of the corporate prayers of His people and the public means of grace. Well, how much more in the last day, when all whom He has elected, all whom Christ has atoned for, uh, will have had His redemption applied to them by His Spirit. And we, every one of us in the innumerable multitude, will be perfectly holy in soul and glorified in body and still praising and praying. And then will your soul have the perfection, the completeness of that delight in fellowship with God in prayer, 
even there in the midst of the public assembly, especially there in that glorious assembly in the last day. And so we may taste heaven now uh, by that uh, relationship uh, with God. And so that's praying to Father with respect to what Father sees. But we also pray to Father as the one who hears, or rather, as the ones who have heard him. And so we see that in verse 7. So verse 6 was, when you pray, pray to your Father who sees in secret. Verse 7 is, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So they think to use many words, many repetitions in praying as a mechanism by making their God hear what they want. But our God doesn't need to hear what we want. He is pleased to hear his children and to have uh, the fellowship with his children, to give them fellowship with himself, as we heard uh, in verse 6. But it's we who need to hear him because verse 8 says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Aha, so what should we be praying for? We should be praying not for the things that we think we need, but that our Father knows that we need. Now, this is difficult because we don't know what Father knows. Where can we find out what our Heavenly Father knows that we need? The Bible. He has given us all of his word. And so we read the word of God and we pray according to the word of God. And then we are not overcoming his unwillingness. If we're praying in a way to overcome the unwillingness of God, A, we'll never be able to if he's unwilling to give it. And B, we wouldn't want to. Because if we were asking for something he was unwilling to give, that doesn't mean that he's not good. It means that what we were asking for isn't good. And so, praise God, we are not like the heathen who pray in such a way as if we're trying to overcome God's unwillingness. We pray in such a way to lay hold of his willingness for what is good. Now, does that mean you can't just tell God about your trouble? And about your need? No, of course not. We are to be anxious for nothing but in all things. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God. But we must make them known to God. We must express our requests to God in the same mind and spirit as the Lord Jesus, who says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Even knowing what God's will is, and expressing, making, using that form of expression to describe how difficult it is that he's going to do, and yet drawing from his Father strength in prayer by the help of the Spirit so that he can go willingly to the cross as he ought to. And so his prayer in the garden was, uh, was a key means by which he marshaled strength from the Father and from the Spirit, uh, in order to go to the cross with a good will, with a submissive will. We too, then, are to 
submit to our Father's will in prayer. And so he says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore pray. And now he gives us the best prayer that you can pray for yourself. And that is to pray not for yourself. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He knows what you need. And so begin with who he is and what he has done for you and what he has made you to be to himself, his own beloved child, and how he has given you to know him to yourself as your beloved father, but not just your beloved father, but your almighty father. Not like the heathen who's trying to manipulate a god of his own invention, using prayer words as some kind of magic incantation, like those heathens within the visible church and that synagogue of Satan, who have their beads and they pray the same prayer over and over again on the beads, as if it's magic words to make God do what they want. No. We have a Father in heaven. And he is good. What he, will, he will do what is good. He's already intended to do what is good for us before we asked. And he is wise. He knows better than we do. And he is powerful. He is certainly bringing it about. And we remember those things when we begin with adoration. And so he begins with adoration. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he's praying for the Father's will to be done in the world. But also the, he's praying for the Father's will especially to be done in his own life. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debtors as we forgive our, sorry, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you notice the first thing that we are really asking for that's implied here for each one of us is that we would be part of the body of Christ, that we would be part of a church, that we would remember that we are not asking merely as individuals but at, we're asking as those who have been joined to Christ and in Christ have been joined to one another so that we pray corporately, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so all of the benefits for which we ask come to us not merely as creatures, but they come to us in the same love that has bound us to Christ and made us part of the bride, part of the body, part of the church, part of the new and living temple. Christ is the chief cornerstone, and each of us is living stones who offer up spiritual sacrifice, including the spiritual sacrifice of prayer. And we need, uh, we need the regular provident care of our bodies. Note that the earthly request here is not for something that our flesh would dream up to have, it is according to God's providence and design. We need bread. We need clothing. We need shelter. We need safety. 
health and strength and endurance. But what we need most of all is forgiveness. In every good thing that God does for us, we need forgiveness. Because every good thing is the opposite of what we deserve. And so we need forgiveness if we're going to even grow in grace and grow in holiness. We need forgiveness because we don't deserve to be spared temptation. We need forgiveness because when we're tempted, we don't deserve to be delivered from the evil in the temptation. We need forgiveness if we're going to be forgivers. And the Lord Jesus really emphasizes that, doesn't he? Because he comes after the prayer and from this amazing prayer, the one thing that he highlights at the end is the necessity of being forgivers of others. Now, that's not that surprising to us if we remember back to his profile of what a disciple is in uh, the beginning of chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. And so one quick way to call into question whether you belong to God and Christ is if you are an unforgiving person. How can someone who's been forgiven an infinite debt, not just a thousand talents of silver, but an infinite debt, how can someone who's been forgiven like that remain hard-hearted and embittered, especially if the way he came to be forgiven was by the Spirit's gracious work in the heart? And so when we find that unforgivingness, that bitterness and grudge-holding and hard-heartedness that remains from our flesh, uh, that is in our remaining fleshliness and in our remaining sinfulness. We pray to be delivered from that too. And that's part of what he's saying here. He's not saying, look at how well I have forgiven my debtors now, or corporately, look at how well we have forgiven our debtors now. Do for us as we have done for others. We don't want to be forgiven according to the likeness of what we've done to, done for others. We're asking him to make us more forgiving and recognizing that although the, our capacity to forgive thus far is small, whatever there is did not come from us. It came from God. And so we are the more encouraged for our ongoing forgiveness by his already begun and ongoing work in us. And so we uh, we pray not just for God's will in the world at large, but God's will in us as a church uh, and individuals. Uh, and for the end of all of these things, not merely so that we may have a better time of it for the remaining days and moments that we have in this world, but because we desire for Christ to come into the fullness of his kingdom. We desire for God to be glorified in his son at the last day and for the Lord Jesus to be glorified in his perfected church in the last day. And so as we pray, there's this heavenward eternal focus uh, in this conclusion, which uh, sadly is also missing from the critical text. For yours is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So praise God. Jesus teaches us what it's like to pray to a father who sees us and our fellowship with him is the great reward in praying. And a father who hears us simply because we're his children, but whom we're not trying to manipulate or make to hear what we want, but to whom we come trusting his wisdom, asking him to do what he wants. And that's how you pray when the one in heaven is your father. Let us ask him to help us pray this way. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is our great instructor in prayer, and that even after he has given us all of the words of Christ so that we have a completed Bible, and yet, Lord, even with your your Bible, and even after you have graciously worked in us, it is so much the case that we do not know how to pray for what we ought. We thank you that your Spirit, who knows your mind, helps us to pray rightly and intercedes for us with those dro groanings, those desires for the coming of the kingdom in glory and the adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies, that he does that groaning better than our words could ever have expressed. And so we thank you for that ministry of your spirit, and we pray that he would keep conforming us to Christ, that we would pray more and more as those who are coming to our Father who is in heaven and coming to the one in heaven who is our Father. And so help us in our praying, we ask. Help us in all of our religion to enjoy that interaction of our soul with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.